wide web to get rich enough and there was no turning back. I can't tell you exactly when this point of no return was reached, but by late 1995, we had crossed the threshold. More users meant more content, and more content meant more users. The Internet had spiraled up in popularity, achieving critical mass. Ironically, when a technology reaches critical mass, its weaknesses and limitations almost become strengths as numerous companies, each trying to stake a claim in what quickly turns into a gold rush, step forward to fix the deficiencies. Today, a lot of the Internet's pieces are missing or deficient, but because it is destined to evolve into the global information highway we've been talking about, the Internet offers a wonderful opportunity for companies who come up with ways to improve it. Today, my company is among the thousands contributing to the Internet's evolution. It's no exaggeration to say that virtually everything Microsoft does these days is focused in one way or another on the Internet. The level of investment in the Internet is amazing given that no one's making much profit yet. As some stock prices decline to more realistic levels, critics are sure to say that the Internet is nothing more than hype or even dead. Don't believe it. We're experiencing the early days of a revolution in communications that will be long-lived and widespread. Interactive networking is here to stay, and it's only just beginning. I wrote my first software program when I was 13 years old. It was for playing tic-tac-toe. The computer I was using was huge and cumbersome and slow and absolutely compelling. Cutting a bunch of teenagers loose on a computer was the idea of the Mother's Club at Lakeside School in Seattle. The mothers decided that the proceeds from a big rummage sale should go to installing a terminal and buying computer time for students. The computer terminal didn't have a screen. To play, we typed in our moves on a typewriter-style keyboard and then sat around until the results came chug-chugging out of a loud printing device. Then we'd rush over to take a look and see who'd won or decide a next move. A game of tic-tac-toe that would take 30 seconds with a pencil and paper might eat up most of a lunch period. But who cared? There was just something neat about the machine. We were too young to drive or do any of the other things adults could have fun at, but we could give this big machine orders and it would always obey. Computers are great because when you're working with them, you get immediate results. You know right away if your program works. Experiencing this thrill was the beginning of my fascination with software. One of my friends at Lakeside developed a program in BASIC that simulated Monopoly play. BASIC, or Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code, is a relatively easy-to-learn programming language we used to develop increasingly complex programs. My friend figured out how to make the computer play hundreds of games really fast. We fed it instructions to test out various methods of play. We wanted to discover what strategies won most, and chug-a-chug, chug-a-chug, the computer told us. Like all kids, we not only fooled around with our toys, we changed them. If you've ever watched a child with a cardboard carton and a box of crayons create a spaceship with cool control panels, then you know that this impulse to make a toy do more is at the heart of innovation. It's also the essence of creativity. Of course, in those days, we were just goofing around, or so we thought. But the toy we were goofing around with, well, it turned out to be some toy.
A whole generation of us computer guys all over the world dragged that favorite toy with us into adulthood. We caused a kind of revolution, peaceful mainly, and now the computer has taken up residence in our offices and homes. Inexpensive computer chips now show up in engines, watches, anti-lock brakes, gasoline pumps, burglar alarms, and even talking greeting cards. School kids today are doing sophisticated things with personal computers that are no bigger than textbooks, but outperform the largest computers of a generation ago. Now that computing is astoundingly inexpensive and computers inhabit every part of our lives, we stand at the brink of another revolution. This one will involve unprecedentedly inexpensive communication. All the computers will join together to communicate with us and for us. Interconnected globally, they'll form a large interactive network, which is sometimes called the information superhighway. The reach and use of the emerging interactive